This week, coronavirus infection numbers skyrocketed while the... Hang on a second, Did because I'm knocking the door. Oh. Oh. Is it Sinterklaas? <laughs> Sadly, it was not Sinterklaas, no. It's Friday, October 15, Great Reset Day, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Great Reset Reporter, and with me today is Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Bond Marathon Coordinator. Yes. Paul, what's going on with the Great Reset? Why are you obsessed with this weird hashtag that keeps on popping up on Dutch Twitter? I'm not obsessed with that. Uh, <laughs> a certain uh, MP, uh, also leader of the party, ah. Forum for Democracy, is. Is this the MP we keep saying we're going to stop talking about? And then... Yeah, and then we, <laughs> we continue to talk about him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, he tweeted some uh, uh, screenshots, I believe, of, of other tweets and other signals and signs that the Great yeah. Reset was coming. This sort of... All right. uh, you know, this change of, of everything that we yeah. know and everything that we hold dear, this major change in society. Yeah, this, sort of, this sort of polar shift, basically, this um, yeah, complete, exactly. uh, flip of the axis. Yeah, the the yeah. one that he has campaigned on uh, multiple times, but yeah. you know now in, in probably the, the the wrong direction, I assume. Yeah. Uh, he tweeted a month ago or so that it was finally going to happen on October fifteen, and I was uh, scrolling through some of my <laughs> old uh, screenshots, and I found that it was before I was blocked. By the way, yes. I, I found that I screenshotted this particular tweet where he predicted the Great Reset to take place on October fifteen. So uh, two days ago, I tweeted that. As a reminder to the, to the rest of the, of the world that uh, the Great Reset was finally going to happen, right. um, you, you know there is someone else who uh, strongly believes in the Great Reset. That is Willem Engel. Um, of course. And I looked on his timeline, and he is all already uh, uh, doubling down a bit. He says that uh, probably we have avoided the Great Reset to take place on October 15, right. uh, but it will certainly uh, happen uh, another time. And it reminds <laughs> me of these cults, you know, that it is basically the end yeah. of the world all the time, and they say, well, uh, in a couple of months, we will uh, we will all going to die, so yeah. please give me your money. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as this date is, is uh, approaching, or uh, the day after it happened, they claimed that they made a uh, a calculation error and it's actually going to happen uh, six months from now so st yeah. keep uh, keep uh, uh, giving me your money and this is yeah this is just uh, precisely the same they have just become an apocalyptic cult haven't they? and they and they always push the date forward just just by not not by much never by like 10 20 years or something it's always no, just over the in horizon the foreseeable future in the, it's always yeah. in the foreseeable future yeah and in you know, close enough to make you panic and yeah, and, and and donate to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, uh, it's getting all the characteristics of a apocalyptic cult, as you say. And um, yeah, you know, if you believe in, if you do not believe in their story, then it's very funny and very yeah. uh, 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 hilarious to see that they keep uh, predicting these days wrong, and you know, uh, uh, to, to see how they justify the error and uh, why it hasn't happened. And, <laughs> But you know, if you truly believe in this, then uh, this is uh, just very sad. And um, yeah. yeah, it's a strange so, thing to do in politics to set up a party for true believers because uh, it seems to be a, a or, or it's always going to be a, an increasingly dwindling amount. So once people 
Um, once the first um, apocalypse hasn't happened, you're on an increasingly difficult uh, trajectory to try and keep conv- coming up with convincing arguments for why it's definitely going to happen this time. Yeah, but still, yeah. the cult is still there. So, but it's still. Uh, yeah. I was taken this week uh, by an interview with an apostate from this cult, um, one Wiebem von Hacha, who's now seems to be oh. positioning himself as um, the kind of the voice of reason uh, within these uh, the, the, these increasingly proliferating splinter groups on the right. He's kind of got this. Um, there was a bit interview with him in NSA. He had this kind of picture of himself standing, looking very upright and. Serious, and uh, you know. So, but bear in mind, this is uh, Viper von Hacher, who was expelled from the Fefe Day because he kept on uh, being a private landlord, and they told him he had to give up his business interests while he was in in Parliament. And yeah. he's now trying to sort of make out that he is uh, that he left. Um, the departed company of Baudet because uh, Baudet was just far too wacko and racist and anti-Semitic. Although, interestingly, he didn't notice any of this until <laughs> after the election. And that was the yeah. election in which he was uh, he was uh, elected to Parliament as a member of Forum for Democracy. So he kind of got into Parliament on Baudet's coattails. And then uh, then suddenly had this magic line of Damascene conversion where he realised that, oh, no, hang on a second. I've, I've just realised what everyone else noticed back in November, four months <laughs> earlier, that uh, Baudet is in, in, is in fact... Um, running a, a, a party of uh, cranks and conspiracy theorists and anti-Semites. Yeah, I mean, how unobservant you must be. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't uh, uh, speak well of his uh, uh, of his political antenna, right? No. Uh, uh, he, 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 if it's something that's so obvious uh, and everyone is saying and yeah. uh, you join him nonetheless and then, at, you know, while everyone almost have seemed to have forgotten about it, uh, uh, then you decide that that was actually true. I mean, it's just uh, he, he must have been a very unobservant person. There, yeah, that that, that was pointed and, out to him. An alarmingly <laughs> unobservant person. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, that doesn't. Uh, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, he he he's not convincing me to to give him uh, his <laughs> vote if he is so. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, yeah, if, if he's so, yeah, if he's got such a bad, um, yeah, um, yeah, judgment, yeah, yeah, such bad political judgment. That yeah. that point was put to him in the interview that uh, you, because he said that he left the Fefe Day because um, yeah, he, he found that uh, too many of his policies were too left wing. They departed from classic liberalism, which is an interesting take because, of course, what actually happened was that he was expelled from the party. Yeah, but um, and then he said he'd left uh, Baudet because he decided he was just too mad. But uh, yeah, and then he was asked, you know, <laughs> how did you manage to get caught out? twice he said uh, oh well it wasn't quite like that it was uh, yeah. you know, and then he said he didn't have any, then he said he didn't have any regrets from joining these two parties and then forming his own one because he didn't fit in with either of them so it was all very strange it's all very strange yeah. um, what's also very strange is that apparently you watched all Bond movies uh, in the past week <laughs> well not quite but I'm heading oh. down that road uh, yeah this is because my eldest son has just had some uh, surgery he's had some teeth removed so he's sitting at home now um, on the couch with a sore, sore mouth and all he wants to do is watch Bond movies he can only eat liquid food yeah he can only eat shaken soup shaken and not yeah, stirred yes exactly yeah tomato soup shaken not stirred yeah <laughs> um, but see he's so he's yeah so that's what he's doing and uh, handily uh, one of the commercial tv stations broadcast all of the bond movies over three mm. weeks uh, quite recently and i managed to re- uh, had the presence of mind to record them all except for a couple so we've now got all the bond movies uh, saved up ready to uh, ready to watch over the next couple of uh, next couple of days so that's what i'll be doing this weekend watching all the in entire... preparation of the new uh, new bond movie exactly so and then the, the exact the culmination of this is that next week we'll go and watch the new one so very he's very nice. excited about that um, 
Yeah, and uh, uh, it, it, this doesn't sound uh, very exciting. Uh, you visited Almere this week. I did. I did find myself in Almere, yeah, for quite a nice ceremony, I have to say, for the uh, the crew of a wartime bomber that was shot down over the Malcolm Mir, um of in, in 1943, and uh, the the relatives of uh, the crewmen who all died because they were in the plane, they didn't have any time to to bail out. Um, the, 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 their relatives and their uh, their sons and their nieces and nephews were all there. There's one person um, who couldn't make it, sadly, which was actually the younger sister of one of the airmen, so someone who actually remembers mm. him when he was alive, even though he died 78 years ago. Uh, she's now 95 years old, lives in Canada, um, and uh, unfortunately they decided she wasn't well enough to come over this time but they have talked about uh, they're going to have funeral services now because these airmen have been identified by DNA analysis and obviously because they've been at the bottom of the Markamir for eight, nearly 80 years they've never had a proper burial so they're going to have yeah. funeral services next year and they're possibly going to fly the sister um, over on a Canadian military plane for that so that'd be really nice but it was a very oh, nice ceremony in Almere I have to say yeah. they did yeah, it very well very yeah, and yeah. Uh, you wrote a very nice article about that, and we will link to that in the liner notes. Yeah. And that brings us to uh, the opif of the week. Uh, this time it comes from Amsterdam, uh, where this year two rival Sinterklaas will arrive in mid-November. The Sint-schism is the result of a row in the committee responsible for organizing Sinterklaas's arrival in the capital. The disagreement started after a plan was announced that this year Sinterklaas would be welcomed in the Johan Cruijff Arena instead of the traditional boat parade in the city canals. Uh, the move of the start of the festive season to the stadium was designed to comply with the coronavirus rules, but faced resistance by a large number of committee members. They preferred the traditional welcome of Sinterklaas, who would normally arrive by steamship at the Museum, followed by a tour along the city's canals. The row escalated and the group decided to break away from the official committee and instead organized their own alternative welcoming ceremony, meaning that the capital now has two rival saints. Two rival saints who are going to uh, clash on uh, in front of the Schreepfaart Museum. I I hope at some point <laughs> they will uh, they will organize a a duel between the two yeah, of them. And exactly, uh, I would definitely watch that. And I would um, pay good money for that. I have to say, it's like a real life. Um, I would pay a good chocolate money for that. Yeah, what's that video game called? Uh, the the karate kicking one. That's uh, uh, Mortal Kombat, like Mortal Kombat with two center classes. That's all we need to have. On on the quayside, yeah. in front of the Cape Art Museum, unmissable. Well, they, could, be, maybe maybe be, they could use this VOC uh, replica as as the stage. <laughs> I mean, then you have different platforms, so that's also uh, yeah. uh, you know another level of of excitement. Yeah, I would yeah. definitely watch that. Yeah, and um, I tell you, if they can turn like marble running into in, 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 into big box office entertainment, they can definitely do it with Sinterklaas Mortal Kombat. Exactly, yeah. The group has already booked a steamship. They launched uh, their own website and they found sponsors. Uh, Amsterdam Mayor Femke Halsema told the city council she is deeply saddened by the row and said that she will speak with the two rival saints, but she's unwilling to take sides in the dispute. This is the first time I think that uh, Zwarte Piet doesn't cause us the major ophef uh, uh, around Sinterklaas. No. It's Sinterklaas himself. So Sinterklaas now. himself, yeah. So this is another uh, break um, with today. Yeah, I mean, we have two Sinterklaases this year, but I mean, is it going to be like like Parliament? Are we going to end up with 17 Sinterklaases? All, you know, all, that one Sinterklaas breaks away because the other one is an anti-Semitic yes. uh, <laughs> a conspiracy theorist who uh, exactly. is slowly losing his mind while sniffing too much lavender. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All that sort of thing. 
I, I, I think two Sinterklaases are enough in, yeah. uh, in maybe, the capital. Maybe you could have another Sinterklaas turning up on a tractor you know, to, to, to represent the, the protesting farmers. Yeah. There are so many possibilities when you think about it. So many possibilities, yeah. yeah. Uh, arrive by tractor and then claim that he doesn't have to do anything with farmers, yeah. Yeah, because of course originally there was only one Svartopit, wasn't there? And then the Canadians yeah. decided there should be more. So only oh, was it the Canadians? It, apparently, it was the Canadians were well, when they liberated the the country in the war. They decided that uh, that, 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 that uh, it was a bit sad that Sinterklaas only had one helper. He should have a whole troop of of, of, Mary, of Mary Peets with him. Um, <laughs> really? So yeah. Oh, oh, I missed. I I, I, I believe that's the case. Maybe, maybe we should look that up. But I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, we should look it up. And otherwise, we will. We can. We can always. That, that we comes can always David's, blame. We yeah. can always blame the Canadians for the uh, for the racist uh, slavery <laughs> parallel. That's uh, definitely I, 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 there. I think even when there's only one Pete, he was still quite racist. But uh, yeah, well, obviously they. Um, they I guess it, it magnified the racism to have more than to have half a dozen Petes instead of just the one. Yeah, it's it's good to know that we can finally blame the Canadians for that. <laughs> After all they did for you. This week, coronavirus infection numbers skyrocketed while KPMG wrote a devastating report about the Dutch government's handling of the pandemic. Prime Minister Mark Rutte received new threats and D66-leader leader Sigrid Kaag spoke out against the impact of online death threats directed against her and her family in court. There was another episode in the never-ending Toeslager scandal on... Amsterdam had Gibraltar over and Rotterdam said hello to two new arrivals. It's been a heck of a week for news, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. but it was all small news. It was uh, yeah. uh, uh, annoyingly small because we can't have one segment uh, devoted to all this news. It's Yeah, we had to... Nah, and split it all up. Yeah. yeah. We had to have a center class for every news story. <laughs> The Dutch government's coronavirus response was held back by a decision to focus on hospital admissions rather than keeping infection numbers down. The approach of caution before speed meant few precautionary measures were taken, and officials tended to intervene too late when infections increased. Countries that took a more proactive approach avoided excess deaths, unlike the Netherlands, where 24,000 more people died than would have done in a normal year in 2020. And the Dutch vaccination programme was poorly prepared, in part because the government thought the AstraZeneca vaccine was a better bet than Pfizer. Those are the main conclusions of a report by accountancy group KPMG into the lessons of the first 18 months of the pandemic. Compared to other nations, the Netherlands is somewhere in the middle. It did better than major European countries such as Spain, France and the UK, but worse than Denmark, Norway and Finland, not just on deaths and infections, but also on economic performance. The Dutch economy contracted by 0.2%, but the Scandinavian nations actually grew. So how well have the Dutch government learned their lessons, by the way? Well, I mean, the main lesson from this report really is that uh, you should uh, focus on infection numbers rather than hospital admissions, because uh, then you you respond to cases faster. So guess what Hugo de Jong has said at a press conference on September the 14th? Probably the opposite of that. Yeah, he said he, he was going to stop focusing on infections and start focusing on hospital numbers even though that's what they've been doing all along, and that was the wrong, um, the wrong tack to take. Um, so you might conclude they haven't learned anything at all. Uh, there was also the press conference uh, where they announced that social distancing would end on September the 25th, and the Corona Check passport system would come in. Um, and since September the 25th, the numbers have just been going up and up. In the last week, we've seen a 50% rise in infections from an average of 2,000 a day to 3,000. Now, Hucho says that doesn't matter and there's no sense in uh, dwelling on infections because it's all about hospital admissions. But sadly for him, they're going up as well. 
So there's now th- mm. 534 COVID patients in hospital, and at the start of October there were 422. So that's a 25% increase in two weeks. So basically infections are doubling every two weeks, maybe a little faster. And what we know from the previous waves is that uh, hospital admissions start going up about a week later and then intensive care goes up a week after that. And if that trend continues, we'll have 6,000 cases a day by the end of this month. Yeah, and the R number that uh, is always uh, uh, re-engineered, right? It's always, uh, there's Reverse always engine, a delay yeah. in the calculation of that. Yeah. It's now at 1.13. So yeah, and that does mean that uh, infections are rising and that R number is growing. So that means yeah. the infections are rising faster. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've got this uh, fabulous uh, test for Tuchang system. How is that uh, working out? Yeah, um, it would be working a whole lot better if uh, the cafes were actually checking people's corona apps uh, on the door. But around one in three aren't, according to a survey of customers by INO Research. Uh, cinemas, concert halls and theatres are doing better. Around 83% are checking at the door that people have been vaccinated or had a negative test in the last 24 hours. But that figure drops to 68% for restaurants and 63% for bars. Now, the survey said most people's experience of using the corona checkout was positive, but one in five people who weren't vaccinated said they knew places where they wouldn't be checked, and 2% admitted to using someone else's pass to get in. Um, And that's a real problem, uh, because as well as people using each other's passes, there are also a lot of fake passes flying around. So the prosecution service this week has started uh, legal action against a website that people are using to download fake QR codes for the Corona Check app. But it turns out to be pretty easy to generate a fake code, because it's uh, it, it, it has to be what's well, designed to be accessible technology, which means uh, it, it's fairly easy to, to reproduce and, and to use. Uh, you can also very easily download the um uh the 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 app that uh, the the restaurants use to check people's qr codes because you have to because again individual members of staff need to be able to get that on their phones so it, because it's very easy access uh, technology is also very easily hacked and very easily faked technology and uh, i think i was looking around this afternoon saw uh, reports um, on i think on bnr saying that you can get a fake um uh, virus sorry you can get a fake vaccination um qr code for about 250 euros and that's mm. what people are doing. Um, so that so we, we have this system basically where, um, you know, the, 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 first of all, the, the the bars aren't checking, which we knew wasn't going to happen. We knew they weren't going to check everyone on the door anyway, so it's not uh, watertight on that sense. And then you find out that the, the people are using each other's apps, or that there are bars that are not checking at all, or that people are going in with with fake codes. So, you know, and as this report pointed out, it gives people a full sense of security because the whole point of this is it's to replace social distancing. So if you go into a bar and you've had your QR code check, you assume that everyone in the bar is virus free. But of course, a certain number of them won't be. On Saturday, I went to uh, a party in a bar and they didn't check anything. Yeah. Uh, I was really, really surprised by that. But uh, I also heard of of a very small bar uh, in a very tiny village in the middle of nowhere, and they were very strict, mm. uh, which surprised me because I expected it the other way around. That bar was in in the, in the city center of Breda, and that bar was in a small village, so I expected it to be the other way around, right? But uh, the, the bar would be uh, very lenient, while 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 the cafe in Breda would be very strict. But yeah, yeah it's uh, it it's, uh, it surprised me a little bit. Um, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I, uh, uh, I I I I expected it to be um, 
not wa- 100% waterproof. I think that was also calculated. Uh, yeah. But you know, it the the percentage of 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 uh, horeca that uh, just is not wo- complying is just yeah. too not high and, and also surprisingly high. Um, uh, yeah, yeah and, and, uh, and, 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 and I mean, knew it was going to be difficult to police this. You know that um, the councils just don't have the personnel to go around checking yeah, every bar every night. Yeah, of course, everybody knows that. So, but then yeah. just at least pretend that you're going to police it and not announce uh, yeah. uh, way in advance that you're not going to do it anyway. I mean, you can't police everything. Everybody understands that. But then yeah. just do random checks and give bars and restaurants at least. Um, you know, uh, 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 give them. Uh, you know, give them the impression that there is at least a small chance that they will be checked, and then yeah. uh, 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 that can only help with them complying it. I mean, it's just the the, the stupidest thing, probably even stupider than Hugo de Jonge, uh, are these police <laughs> forces and these BOAs that are announcing that they will not. Uh, yeah, same from the outside. That they will. Yeah, they don't have the resources, or, or, or they're not going to. You know, to, 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 to actually check whether uh, the bars are actually um, reading people's apps. Um, which yeah, but it's very weird. I, th- I think also just on top of all that, it's kind of a conceptually flawed system because it, it, it's meant to ensure that nobody in um, uh, who goes into a bar is, is infected. Because you know that people who are vaccinated can uh, can still contract the virus. Now it's not a problem if everyone in the bar is vaccinated, but obviously your people also go in who take a negative test. Um, and then uh, get a career code for that, which is uh, which is perfectly fine. It's fair, and you you can't have a system that really would be discrimination if only vaccinated people could go into yeah. a bar. But of course, people who are unvaccinated and test negative, they may be negative when they go in the bar. But if they can then still contract the infection from people who are vaccinated, and most of the people in hospital right now are people who are unvaccinated, so it's a leaky system just on, on, in that basic sense. And then when you add in the fact that they're not checking and that people are using f- fake or duplicate QR codes, it's a mess. It's it's just yeah. never going to work. Yeah, yeah. But I think the the uh, the danger of a person with a negative test being positive when he arrives, and then and then and there's also a small chance that uh, this uh, then that, that vaccinated people get infected. I mean that is an acceptable risk, but that is uh, yeah. Uh, but then they can pass uh, the infection on to people in the bar who are not vaccinated, and that yeah. is, and, and that becomes a problem. And the the risk is very small. But if you if you if you replicate it across the whole all the bars in the country, you're going to have a yeah. certain number of people every night who who pick up the virus and get seriously ill. Yeah, and then uh, we are also in, of course, in the in the season where uh, you would expect people to get uh, ill faster. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it it was the worst timing probably. Yeah, to, that's the uh, other thing because of course you know <laughs> now now that things are opening up again. Regular colds and an ordinary flu uh, are coming back into this back into the mix, and of course people now when they get a sniffle or a cold, they don't automatically assume it's corona. Or they might even get a negative corona test on a you know on on a home testing kit and decide I'm okay, but actually they do have corona and that's a problem as well. Yeah, it's a mess. It was a busy week in The Hague, but unfortunately we haven't seen much progress in the formation of a new cabinet. The number twos of the four parties that are trying to restart the uh, current coalition met on Monday with the two formateurs, Johan Remkes of the VVD and Wouter Kolmees of D66. But no statements were given after that. Uh, yeah, I think we are approaching this dreaded uh, radio silence stage of the formation, yeah. where uh, you know all these uh, negotiators are not saying anything um, uh, to the press or to journalists or 
we don't know what's going on. Yeah. And uh, we're basically waiting uh, until they either uh, quit the negotiations or they uh, come out with a, uh, uh, with a result. Yep. Um, it might be that they will give more openness in light of the uh, you know uh, change of the administrative culture that everybody wants. But you know, negotiating in full openness <laughs> and transparency that's uh, just not a good. It's just uh, never going to happen, is it? Yeah, no. I think f- uh, f- fans of heavy wooden doors, I think, are in for yeah. a treat this month <laughs> because that's all you're going to see. Basically, yeah. journalists standing in front of wall- doors that are firmly shut waiting for them to open yeah and then and giving commentary come on out things that they anything. don't know anything about yeah yeah we're not cannot possibly uh, say anything yeah yeah, and, yeah but, but, but basically it's for speaking into the camera and saying they haven't been told anything today or that or the, the other great moment is when the politicians do actually come out and say i've got nothing to tell you and then go away yeah. then. <laughs> at <laughs> some point they fun. just give up they have no <laughs> no more excuses to say no more uh, cliches or platitudes they just say yeah. well i don't i have nothing to say i will uh, <laughs> I will move on. Um, yeah, I think uh, if you listen to the Haagse Zaken podcast uh, that comes yeah. out every Saturday, they did a very long episode about uh, the medical ethical issues, which yeah. uh, are really seem to be the hot topic in this uh, in this coalition uh, negotiations. On the one hand, you have uh, the ChristenUnie uh, uh, who, who, who wants stricter rules on abortion, on euthanasia, on stuff like that. While on the other hand, you have Deza Sester who wants uh, more progress uh, uh, in that field. And that, that seem to be um, demands and wishes that uh, are really seem to uh, going to clash. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's not a very hopeful um yeah i mean these are kind of really just fundamental differences that uh, that neither yeah. party is ever going to convince the other one to you know, and there's no real middle ground you can find well the middle ground they found last time was of course just that they were just going to leave those topics alone but yeah I think but both, both parties now that they, they, both do said that they, they don't want to do that this time yeah yeah partly because of course Jesus is Esther sort of um circumvented it in the last parliament by just bringing in private members bills on these issues and uh, the Christian Union saw that, I think, understandably, is bad faith. So, yeah, uh, they're not going to go in for that again. Yeah, so uh, it is expected that that will be one of the main major um, topics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, uh, one of the major kind of um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah uh, bones of contention between the parties. Yeah, yeah. So. Um yeah, we will see. We're going to have to wait and see how that uh, develops. Yeah, so there was no formation news at all. Uh, did anything else happen this week? Uh, yeah, much has happened in The Hague. Okay. Uh, first, the new temporary trade Kamer building was visited by King Willem-Alexander on Monday. Uh, he wanted to see how awful the building was with his own <laughs> eyes, I think. Yeah. Um, he was giving a tour through the building by Chair v- uh, Vera Bergkamp, and much to the surprise of an unexpected group of high school students, uh, whose own boring tour got even more boring when uh, the king promptly gave them a lecture in constitutional law. Oh, that was fun for them. Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and the king's visit was preceded by a protest by environmentalist group Extinction Rebellion. They blocked a number of streets in the immediate surroundings of the parliamentary building, and that caused uh, a, a traffic chaos in The Hague. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of people were convinced to join their cause uh, uh, by this protest. Of course. Uh, and another treasured tradition might be taken away from us uh, because Interior Minister Kaisa Ollongren announced a pilot with a new voting ballot in an effort to get rid of the bedsheet-sized ballots we all hold very dear. Oh, that's not, that's terrible news. Uh, I that's think terrible gonna, news. I think they're, but they're not going to get rid of the red pencils, surely. 
That would be going too no, far. No, 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 because uh, we do not trust uh, computers. <laughs> in the municipality elections in March 2022, several municipalities will do tests with other with another type of ballot. Voters will no longer have to search for their preferred candidate on an enormous piece of paper, but instead they have to just simply tick two boxes: one for their preferred party and one for the candidate's number. This is actually the system they already use for overseas voters, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and it works perfectly. Yes. Uh, uh, it's it's yeah, it's kind of. I mean, I guess some people will be confused by it, but uh, if you get used to it, then it's just uh, much simpler, much easier, yeah. and also uh, the counting uh, of the ballots will be made, f- yeah, a, yeah, a much lot more easier, of course. Because if you have seen footage of that, uh, if they are voting, uh, counting the votes of the Tweede Kamer election, then they they they, they always need bigger gymnasiums <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. it's all too small. I mean, yeah, you the, can't the, have. Yeah, I mean, people must just like drown under these uh, enormous uh, piles of massive ballot papers, right? It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if one pile of of ballot papers falls over then you know a a lot of people (laughs) die in this process (laughs) i think yeah they uh in a very tragic uh, ballot uh ballot uh uh, uh, accident yeah yeah so yeah that's the uh that's the 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 system they already use um but not uh yeah one problem that mps raise is that taking only one box will make the vote invalid because you know technically speaking you are electing a person and not a party yeah um so the sp uh tried to do their best to uh to reverse this but uh, that didn't pass um not all hope is lost, though, because while the plans were supported by the majority in the Tweede Kamer, the parties in favor do not hold a majority in the Senate. So uh, we might uh, uh, see the 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 ballot uh, the the the, the bed sheets ballot papers uh, again in the future. I see this this is going to be one of those issues, right? Like um uh, uh, like abolishing a summertime that will never actually happen because although yeah. everyone agrees in principle it's a good idea, no one can ever decide agree on how to do it. And yeah, so we'll just yeah, hop, we'll yeah. just continue in limbo forevermore. Yeah, uh, if you mean in limbo in Limburg, then uh, hopefully we will not uh, <laughs> stay yes. in limbo forever. No. Certainly, hope we won't stay in limbo forever. No, or Almere. <laughs> yes. And uh, there's also been uh, more threats uh, directed to uh, party leaders this week. Yeah, it was revealed that a 22-year-old man from Amsterdam was arrested on suspicion of planning an attack on Prime Minister Mark Rutte. The prosecution service said the man had placed messages inciting terrorist violence and asked revolutionaries to carry out his plans in public telegram groups called uh, the Bataafse Republiek. Uh, and that uh, telegram group was uh, shut down by the prosecution servants recently because mm. of uh, the stuff that has been said in there. He discussed his plans with others face to face and he talked about shooting Rutte as he cycled by. And he's also said to have made plans to buy firearms and that was probably what prompted uh, the, the, the police and the prosecution yeah. service to arrest him, I think. Uh, because, you know, uh, spreading these sort of messages on the internet is one thing, but if you actually come into action, then... Uh, yeah, if uh, you actually yeah. start, start making serious plans to to carry out uh, to carry out your intentions so yeah that, that that takes it up a level yeah definitely yeah. um in september rutte was uh, already given extra personal protection but this was following concerns that gangsters may be plotting to kidnap him uh, he and other politicians were also reportedly the targets of another alleged terrorist cell in eindhoven uh, mm. earlier this year so yeah uh, th- there seems to be something brewing in society because you know we've we've seen death threats on the internet uh, 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 forever now. But uh, yeah, all these arrests seem to um, uh, seem to indicate that uh, that people are actually 
yeah, what you say, uh, uh, taking their words into action. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a real problem. There's also been another case this week involving two other senior politicians. Yeah, uh, 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 earlier this week, a 42-year-old man was sentenced to prison for five months for threatening two politicians online. He wrote on Facebook that Health Minister Hugo de Jonge should look around every second. And he also said that he was willing to pay for the first, the second and the last bullet. Uh, he also wrote on Facebook a message aimed at D66 leader Sigrid Kaag. He announced that he would attack her and injure her in such a way that she either dies or can never do her job again. And so very awful stuff. Uh, and uh, the court case was held uh, on Thursday and Kaag was present in the courtroom and she made use of her spreekrecht or yeah, the right to as a yeah. victim uh, to, to, to speak out. and to Yeah, yeah she uh, made a victim statement. A victim statement, yeah. yeah, that was the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> um, she explained the impact uh, the online threats uh, directed at her uh, and her family have on their life. She said that she didn't feel safe anymore to walk the dog at night uh, and her children were too afraid to leave the house. Uh, the man explained he posted the messages in a rage and now felt ashamed of his words uh, and that it had these impacts. Uh, but the judge said in his ruling that the man had contributed to a climate of fear and unsafety in this country and he needed to be punished harshly yeah so, yeah five months in uh, uh, uh behind bars for him for uh you know um uh, being frustrated and uh, uh not uh, and not keeping his temper on the internet i mean yeah it's, 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 it is kind of a really worrying trend you know because we all disagree with politicians and we all sometimes quite fiercely and we all shout at the television sometimes when they appear but to actually make, especially at the eurovision song contest especially when they're involved in the eurovision song contest which thankfully doesn't involve too many politicians but yeah <laughs> but yeah but, but just the fact that people now aim these um these threats at them there's such personal threats at them and and they and they say them directly you know to their face basically when you speak to someone directly on twitter i guess that access that access wasn't there before so there was a kind of a buffer because television was is a more passive medium you can sit there and shout at your tv screen i think a lot of people feel like it it's the same but it's not because you know the politician actually hears the thing that uh, the person's saying and because they say it to them directly um it's it, it, it makes them very very worried and you know and and and, and it has a real impact on their on, on on their feelings about their personal safety and of course once in a while you actually do get somebody carrying out carrying out an attack um either on a politician or on a political group that they disagree with and it's very hard to know sometimes you can laugh these things off and say this person isn't really isn't very serious or how would they actually do that but then once in a while you get an incident where somebody actually goes as far as uh, buying a gun and and using it and it's very hard to know at what point you need you should step in yeah, the problem with social media is that it still feels as if these people are shouting at that television well, they, yeah. when they post these t- sort of stuff. But, you know, uh, on social media, you can tag these persons. And so actually you are saying it into their face. A lot yeah. of people will never do this, uh, say this st- stuff uh, directly into the face of these people. But, you know, they are still at the comfort of their home. And uh, the problem is also if you have these group chats of all these strangers that are talking to each other, there's sort of an escalating pattern of, 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 of things that being said right yeah. someone says this and the other tops it over and uh, the other one does it as well and you always uh, you will always have these people that 
you know, at some point uh, uh, they break something in their mind or something, and they yeah, they, you did, they you're constantly action. contesting to do, yeah, you're constantly contesting to to say the most extreme thing, and then the next logical step for some people, if you're you know if, if you're not um, uh, particularly stable at that point, is to actually is to actually tell, is actually turning what your your words into action. That's the point. Yeah, that's the point of radicalization. That's when it gets yeah. dangerous and can happen very quickly. You know, as we've seen. So yeah. MPs have again expressed their frustration over the lack of progress in compensating parents who were caught up in the childcare benefit scandal. Only around 10% of the 50,000 people who've applied for compensation have had their cases settled nine months after the cabinet collapsed over the issue. In a debate in Parliament this week, MPs from all sides said the process needed to be quicker and simpler. The Socialist Party accused the government of dithering. Henk Nijboer of the Labour Party said there should be a hard deadline for compensating families. And even the Fefe Day said it was a painful and frustrating exercise and asked Junior Finance Minister Alexander van Huffelen to come up with a fast-track route for parents who want the basic payout of €30,000. People who are claiming more have to go through a means test and that can take years. And lawyers for the families are also unhappy. They wrote to the minister complaining there was no professional communication channel for them, so they were unable to get quick or clear answers to legal queries. They said a special team was needed that could intervene in emergencies, such as when a child is about to be taken away from their family. And the government needed to make more money available for expert assessments of things like psychological damage or the effects of discrimination or being blacklisted by the tax office because they were wrongly suspected of fraud. Yeah, and while uh, the Dutch cabinet and Prime Minister Mark Rutte is uh, criticizing Poland for uh, uh, undermining the rule of law, the mm. Council of Europe weighed in uh, uh, about the Tuslagen disaster, uh, didn't they? Yes, they came in with also with a very um, uh, harsh report uh, where they said the Netherlands basically needs to overhaul its legislation and its implementation and case law to prevent a repeat of the childcare benefit scandal or anything similar. Uh, the Council of Europe's Venice Commission was asked by MPs uh, to, to look at the whole childcare benefit scandal uh, in which thousands of families were wrongly accused of devoting the tax office uh, and it found that a culture of holding back information and frustrating attempts at information gathering by MPs who represented parties in the coalition government came in for particular criticism. So for example, Peter Omsicht, who was a member of the CDR party but was uh, very critical of a cabinet that included the CDR. Of course, that was the background to the whole omsicht Funksi elders um, discussion that kind of blighted the yeah. first part of the um, of, of the coalition negotiations because basically Wopke Hoekstra and other cabinet ministers were unhappy that an MP from one of the coalition parties was asking pointed questions of ministers and the, you know, the Council of Europe said that this you know, it's undermining democracy if you don't let it give yeah. MPs the freedom to scrutinise the cabinet whatever party they're in Yeah and we really need to update um, uh, uh the principles of good governance uh, yeah. in the Netherlands and really uh, make sure that everyone involved in government but also in legislation uh, 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 realizes what it says and what it means. And um, yeah, this is probably... So the Council of Europe is also calling on the Netherlands to have a new administrative culture. Yeah, uh, basically, and, uh, and, and, yeah. To, yeah, and to strengthen the, the, the rule of law because uh, although you know, the... the, the, the um, 
the Netherlands always uh, prides itself on the fact that it's a Rechtsstaat in uh, a rule of law society. In in, in practice, uh, things of the balance between Parliament and the government and the cabinet uh, has, 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 has has been kind of uh, tilted too much, I think, in favour of the cabinet because the MPs just don't have the resources, and particularly <coughs> parliamentary commissions, um, you know, don't really have the money or the um, or, or, or the support they need in terms of personnel to to, to scrutinise government properly and that's something that uh, the council of europe's report said as well uh, yeah and also uh, the national uh, ombudsman isn't also very happy isn't he no he certainly isn't uh, reinier von zutphen he's been one of the government's biggest critics throughout the whole tuslachen affair he published a report on the organization that's set up to handle the claims and uh, pointed out that in a quarter of cases the legal deadline for dealing with the complaint has been exceeded he said the tax services procedures were too complicated and inaccessible, and the fact that people were still waiting for their compensation was causing financial strain, emotional stress and insecurity. Yeah. He said, if I put myself in the position of an ordinary citizen who's told there needs to be an assessment, but there's no perspective on when that will happen, I think that's unbelievable. Um, and also judges um, have been very critical of their own role in the process. Uh, there was a report by the Judicial Council, the Rat for the Respark, who said the justice system had let down parents who were caught in an unequal struggle with the might of the government and, it's, uh, and said that the judiciary didn't always offer them the protection that they deserved as citizens. And the Council of State approved the tax officer's zero-tolerance approach to benefit fraud, and judges interpreted the law far too strictly in individual cases. There was one case where a parent who missed a payment of 77 euros had to refund 27,500 to the state. Yeah. Which is just yeah staggering when you, when you look yeah. at it. Yeah, and you, you ju it's just unimaginable that a judge can look at this, right? This this mispayment of 77 euros and then rules that the entire amount of 27,500 euros needs to be repaid. It's just, um, uh, you know, judges are always saying that they are uh, 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 looking at every, yeah, verzachtende omstandigheden, right? Yeah, uh, they look at uh, mitigating circumstances. Yeah, yeah. mitigating circumstances. Yeah. And you always hear that whenever... There is a, I don't know, someone, um, someone is convicted of, uh, of of rape or whatever, or 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 or, or, or a deadly car accident, and yeah. they always say that yeah, there is, there are mitigating circumstances. Uh, uh, you hear that all the time, and it's just so strange that in these cases, uh, uh, they 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 completely miss this. But it's all it is very hopeful that the um, uh, Council of the Judiciary uh, 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 wrote this report and evaluated their role in in um uh, in the, in this scandal and also concluded that they um, were really uh, 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 uh yeah have neg neglected their, their role and um yeah, yeah. It's, that is hopeful at least to say that. it is in the end but it's just the fact that it's taken so long to get to this point for the, for the awareness to come that uh, the all branch of government uh, really i think the the, the, the tax office and the, and, and the courts um, and, and the cabinet as well and parliament, you know, who are not yeah. blameless in this situation either. I mean, a lot of MPs, this all began, of course, with the Bulgarian fraud, where the MPs are very keen to crack down on uh, systematic fraud and yeah. uh, mistook one type of fraud for another and, uh, and, and set up this kind of really institutional, uh, insurmountable institutional barrier for, for parents and ordinary people who were, who were just claiming benefits and then judged incredibly harshly by the state. And there was nowhere they could turn to if they turned to parliament they were they didn't get an audience from from any of the arms of government they were completely helpless which is what the the word that the uh, uh council for the judiciary used yeah yeah
Yeah, it's uh, it's awful. But on the other hand, uh, some MPs called on uh, to just pay uh, these victims and then check later if they were eligible for this uh, for these repairs. Yeah. But that's also that there was also the whole start of the. Of that's the, of the how scam, the right? how so, the two slacking system worked and, and why it yeah. broke down. Because again, yeah, people are given benefits up front. That was seen as a good thing because you don't want to wait six months to get your assessment. People can't afford to wait that long. But then, of course, when the checks were done retroactively, they were then. Um, uh, done with this zero tolerance attitude of you know if if you there's anything at all out of line with your paperwork, um, that then you you order to pay back the full amount. And of course, this automatic stamp that that uh, people were given if uh, if the the amount of money involved or scrutinized was yeah. over a certain amount, uh, then they would already uh, they, they would almost automatically be called a fraudster because yeah. it was about so much money. But you know, this child uh, child care benefit if naturally uh, is about thousands and thousands of euros. So yeah. whenever there was something wrong with this application, then these people would would automatically be uh, uh, be called a fraud. Uh, a fraudster and uh, yeah that was what what the uh, and every time they called the belasting deans or whatever yeah. they uh, someone on the phone uh typed in that information and they automatically got this red screen oh yeah. we, we have we are dealing with the fraudster and that yeah. was when every you know uh, everybody thought well we're not going to help this person of course because it's a it's, it's a fraudster we yeah, have exactly. to, we have they're, they're up. they have that label of fraudster and it, it becomes an indelible stain i think the thing the, the automation of the system is it was a big part of the problem that, that, that there were far too few kind of human checks and nobody yeah. looked to the circumstance of the person if, if they had that red flag on the corner of their screen saying this person is uh, under suspicion of fraud then you know that that was a red line that um yeah. that meant that that, that, that that they would get absolutely nothing they would get no leeway whatsoever even yeah well if, that was the thing it wasn't even they were under the suspicion of fraud but they yeah. were called a fraudster yes yeah, yeah. so um yeah, this is uh, definitely something that will be dragging on for for many years to come. Yeah, it's going to take uh, a very very long time to sort out, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a mess. It's time again to say a big thank you to all the people who keep the wheels of this podcast spinning. Yes, it's our lovely patrons who continue to throw money at us to bring them terrible news about infectious disease, overzealous tax officials, and why we still don't have a government. <laughs> So thank you very much uh, for, to, 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 to all of you for bearing with us, and uh, we hope we've got better news to bring you soon. This week we say thank you to new patron Stacy, who says thank you for the constant laughs. Um, Stacy also has a very random question for us, uh, which we appreciate very much, I have to say. Any chance you can find out where the new carpet in the Planerazal comes from? Um, it was a shock at first, but it's starting to grow on me. It would look great in my living room. Uh, Paul, <laughs> you actually looked this up, I think. Uh, or... Well, no, I tried to look it up, but I couldn't really find it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a very thick carpet, right? And it's. Uh, yeah. uh, I personally don't like it, but uh, if Stacey <laughs> wants it, then uh, 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 yeah, that's uh, that's up to her. Well, it's probably uh, very insulating. Know... So if your gas bill is going to go up this this winter, yeah. then it's a good good carpet to get. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do know what uh, what it symbolizes, though, because uh, the plenary chamber uh, has a lot of uh, uh, symbols mm. uh, in it, very awful symbols, too, uh, <laughs> if, if I'm yeah, honest. So the green uh, carpet, because it's sort of green, uh, symbolizes the uh, grassy fields of the Netherlands. Right. And the, the blue uh, seats of the MPs are stylized tulips. 
Right. Uh, so it's a, a tulip field of, of seeds. Yeah. Uh, then we have the, um, yeah, in, that's the old uh, plenary chamber. So uh, not the current one, but the one in the Binnenhof. It, it has a lot of um, lamps in the ceiling and that uh, uh, symbolizes uh, the starry sky uh, at night, even though because of uh, a light pollution in the Netherlands, it's the most lightly polluted uh, country in the world, uh, I think. Mm -hmm. We don't see any stars <laughs> in the Netherlands, but that's okay. Yeah. And unless you go off to Schiermonnikoog, possibly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you really need to go to one of the Walde Island <laughs> if you want to see a starry sky. Yeah. Uh, but here in in uh, especially in the Hague and Delft, we live so nearby the Westland that we we that's the only light we see right at night. Yeah. It's almost as if exactly. It's, it's almost as if it never really gets dark at all anymore. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's uh, I, that's what it symbolizes. But I don't know where they bought it. But uh, you know, given that they are. <laughs> Uh, doing everything sober but dulmatig, I think they are. They bought it definitely at Carpet Right or some yeah, sort of other probably. Uh, low budget uh, carpet I, store. IKEA, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I also note that um, uh, BBB uh, uh, leader uh, Caroline van der Plas uh, always complains that she's tripping over yeah. uh, the thick carpet. So uh, yeah, you gotta have to be careful if you uh, <laughs> if you find it and you uh, put it in your house. Right. You'd have thought really the leader of the farmers' party would not have any problem <laughs> walking through fields. Yeah. It's almost as if yeah. she's not a real farmer. No, no, no. If you'd like to become a patron and ask us uh, questions about uh, politics or gas prices or just indoor furnishings, we don't mind. <laughs> Go to www.patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. Sports news now, and the Netherlands are favourites to qualify for next year's Men's World Cup in Qatar after overcoming the might of Latvia and <laughs> Gibraltar this week. <laughs> Davy Klaassen's first half goal secured a gritty 1-0 win in Latvia that would have doubled as an insomnia cure. Avania then strolled to a slightly more entertaining 6-0 victory over Gibraltar in Amsterdam on Monday, which included Virgil van Dijk's first goal for over a year. He has been out for most of that time with a cruciate injury, in fairness to him. And two from Memphis Depay, who's now the first Dutch player to score 14 international goals in a year, and he's got 35 altogether in an orange shirt, putting him 8th on the all-time goalscorers list. Their closest rivals, Turkey and Norway, drew with each other in Istanbul on Friday, and that means the Dutch can qualify as group winners with a win and a draw in their last two games next month against Montenegro and Norway. Why is Oranje uh, <laughs> playing against these, uh, <laughs> these powerful nations such yeah. <laughs> as Latvia, Gibraltar and Montenegro? Yeah, to be fair. Well, I mean, at least to be fair to them, they did, they did actually win fairly at a stroll. Um, whereas Scotland went to the Faroe Islands and won 1-0 <laughs> with an 86-minute goal. So they managed to... Doesn't the Faroe Islanders <laughs> have a prime minister who is a, a goalkeeper in the national elf or something? Not anymore. I think he might have mm. been uh, at yeah. one point. Yeah, they, they yeah, did yeah. years ago. They had the goalkeeper with the bobble hat. He was famous, <laughs> the most famous player. News. He was quite yeah. good as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, so I I hadn't watched the game, but I uh, I read on Twitter. I I, I uh, thought to read that they were playing uh, uh, Gibraltar in Gibraltar. Um, but there no, was that was one... back in February. Yeah. Oh, that was back in February. Yeah, there's yeah. one field in in Gibraltar and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. That's almost the entire nation, of course. Yeah, there's, there's a Twitter diagram which shows that the football field is about like 10% of the entire landmass <laughs> of Gibraltar. It's 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's insane. Yeah. Um, and there was also some good news for Max Verstappen at the weekend. Uh, yeah, uh, Max Verstappen's now back in front in the Formula One Championship race. He's uh, six points clear of Lewis Hamilton after finishing second in the Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, Hamilton uh, wound up fifth. Uh, so, but Verstappen wasn't entirely happy because the Red Bull cars were noticeably slower than the Mercedes on the circuit, mm. and uh, they've been frantically trying to improve their engine ahead of the next race, which is the US Grand Prix next weekend, and that tends to be a race that Mercedes do very well in. Certainly, Lewis Hamilton has won it, I think, the last couple of years. Uh, the real stars of the race were the second string drivers. Uh, Hamilton's deputy Valtteri Bottas won the race pretty convincingly, and uh, Red Bull's Sergio Perez ended up in third after holding off a furious offensive by Hamilton in the closing laps. And then Hamilton yeah. was even more furious with his team because they called him in for new tyres just as it looked as if he might slip past Perez, and he said that decision cost him a shot at third place. But yeah, the the Max Verstappen is now has taken the lead, but he is worried that uh, uh, that uh, Hamilton will uh, will overtake him uh, in the championship uh, uh, in the coming races. Uh, so yeah, they have really have uh, some work to do with their cars and with their. Uh, with their engines, uh, so yeah, um, yeah, it's going to keep it. Uh, yeah, it's going to keep it uh, interesting for the next couple of races. Think, it is uh, very right interesting. The that's, uh, that's it's going to go to the wire, as yeah. they say in uh, sports reporting. The Zalmhaven Tower in Rotterdam reached its highest point this week and is now officially the tallest building in the Netherlands. The 215-meter-high tower has 60 floors and is primarily devoted to 256 housing units, uh, but will also house offices, a restaurant and an observation deck, which will be located at 185 meters, and that is 40 centimeters higher than the Euromast, <laughs> that other tall structure in Rotterdam. That crucial That's 40 centimeters. A crucial 40 centimeters, yeah. and I'm sure they had done this on purpose. <laughs> Uh, the topping out was celebrated on Thursday with a light show from the new uh, skyscraper. And the previous record of tallest skyscraper in the Netherlands was held by the Maastoren, also in Rotterdam, just on the other side of the river, with a height of 165 meters. Yeah, there this topping out ceremony is a really Dutch thing, I think. I don't know any other country where they do this. With, with, no, with, it's with everywhere. Buildings. Is it? Everywhere. Oh, yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Especially, especially with tall structures. Yeah. Right, for, forget I said that. <laughs> Uh, I will. <laughs> no, it's uh, definitely a thing. No, I, thought uh, was, I remember uh, I was actually working on, I was, uh, years ago, I was um, uh, doing taking minutes for a construction project, and it was a, it was a joint um, project between the American and the Dutch company, and the Americans had never heard of this um, took the highest point ceremony. So I assumed really? it was uniquely Dutch, yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Well, we might uh, we, we might have to fact check this. If if you are mm. listening uh, from 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 uh, from the United States or somewhere else, <laughs> uh, uh, let us know if this is a thing or not. I I th- always thought it was a thing. All right. There are over two hundred skyscrapers, at least for Dutch standards, uh, higher than seventy meters. And uh, anything above sea level is a skyscraper, right? <laughs> in this country, surely, especially tall for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we always call it skyscrapers in the Netherlands, but, you know, uh, it, it's not, uh, if you compare we, it to the rest we, we, of the world. We have big skies in this country, I think you can... We do have that, big that, skies, That's why, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can get away with it. <laughs> the um, Rotterdam, people from Rotterdam always tend to nickname their city um, uh, Manhattan and the Mass, uh, Manhattan <laughs> on the Muse, and yeah. it always points out, point out that on the island of Manhattan there are over 500 buildings taller than the Mass Tower, which was mm. supposed to be the tallest uh, building in Rotterdam. Uh, but you know, now that uh, that they have a building of 215 meters, that's no longer the case. So I have to find another <laughs> mm. um, uh, pet peeve uh, of mine to. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, there are uh, dozens more skyscrapers planned uh, to be built in the near future, especially in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague. And in Utrecht, interestingly, there is an unwritten rule that buildings cannot be taller than 12, uh, 112 meters. That is uh, uh, the height of the Dom Church Tower. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, there are plans on the way for a tower of 140 meters. Oof. But that is located in Leidse Rijn, which, is, oh, uh, which has recently been annexed by Utrecht. So they, uh, they can claim that it's not really within the city oh, uh, limits no that's not on that's uh, no yeah that's no. the loophole they found yeah the Salmhaven tower is expected to be completed in 2022 yeah and it was a busy day for rotterdam because uh, another icon was also welcomed to the city on thursday Yes, the MS Rotterdam 7 arrived in the port of Rotterdam just in time for the Salmhaven light show. The new flagship of the Holland America line docked at the Wilhelmina Pier next to the shipping company's iconic headquarters and in front of uh, Rem Koolhaas's uh, 148 meter tall uh, building, also called the Rotterdam. Um, so the cruise ship is. It's really imaginative. Uh, some real efforts <laughs> gone into naming these buildings in Rotterdam, haven't they? Exactly. Yeah. And do you know uh, which ship, which hotel uh, ship is located uh, only a couple of meters away from that uh i do and i feel is it, is it not well but it is a former holland america uh liner yeah. isn't it yeah also called well, the uh, ms the rotterdam. rotterdam yes yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. the ss rotterdam ss rotterdam yeah so it's uh, really uh yeah what you say uh, they they're not very good <laughs> at uh, at naming their their stuff in rotterdam um yeah. uh well slightly better than uh than people in imauda i think um <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, yeah, the 148 years ago uh, on Thursday that the first Holland America Lines uh, ship, the Rotterdam 1, uh, was uh, embarked on its first voyage to uh, to New York. And the 300 meter long ship, uh, that is the MS Rotterdam, will depart on Friday for its first transatlantic voyage to Miami. Hmm. It's always a uh, yeah impressive sight to see these cruise ships uh, docked at the Wilhelmina Pier, which is almost in the city center in, Rot- in of Rotterdam. And yeah, yeah they, these ships are just so tall. It's almost yeah, it's almost a, a skyscraper for Dutch standards, right? It's uh, yeah. it's always an impressive sight, I think. It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just hope when it leaves in Miami, there isn't an outbreak of coronavirus on board, and uh, they end up <laughs> sail- sailing around the world for the next six months. <laughs> yeah, or an outbreak of icebergs on the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek. We'll be back next week. Will we? No, we will not be no we will no. not be back next week. No. We will not be back next week. <laughs>
But um, yeah, this is uh, that this, didn't work. this joke failed. Uh, we will <laughs> joke, move on. This joke crashed. Yeah, it's yeah, been given it crashed the... like a uh, Bay K 716 short <laughs> Sterling over Marken. 